0: Psalm 33, Psalm 33. Let's read God's Word together. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing, his covenant love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars, He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations blessed is the nation whose god is the lord the people he chose for his inheritance from heaven the lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth he forms the hearts of all who considers so we wait in hope for the Lord he is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name may your unfailing your promise keeping love rest upon us O Lord even as we put our hope in you let's pray for a moment we wait in hope for the lord heavenly father help us so to read so to understand that you would teach us to do that together and as individually in all the ways that would honor you this coming week in jesus name amen where does hope come from that is where does christian hope come from Where does hope which is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and is waiting for his return, where does that kind of hope come from and flow from? That, I believe, is what this psalm teaches us. And I believe the psalm as a whole leads us to a place of living, active, life-giving hope in our living God. And I believe the psalm gives us that because it explains to us as we read this ancient prayer, this song of praise, it explains to us why we can have such hope in God Himself and such hope for our lives and for the outcome of the history of this world. If you look at the beginning of the psalm I want to begin by saying uh, hope first of all comes from forgiveness we praise the God verses 1 to 3 who has forgiven us sing joyfully to the Lord you righteous it is fitting for the upright to praise him and then praise the Lord with harp and music and lyre and song and so on well Where do those verses mention forgiveness? They don't. But if you look at that verse, verse 1, carefully, you will see, as I point out the preceding verse, verse 11 of chapter 32, that it's almost an exact replica. The first verse of Psalm 33 is so similar to the last verse of Psalm 32 that it's absolutely right that we consider these two psalms as very firmly linked together look at verse 11 of psalm 32 rejoice in the lord and be glad you righteous psalm 33 verse 1 sing joyfully to the lord you righteous sing all you who are upright in heart verse 11 of psalm 32 it is fitting verse one of Psalm 33, for the upright to praise Him. There is, isn't there, obviously, a deliberate repetition of those two words, righteous and upright. And so, Psalm 32 flows into Psalm 33, and Psalm 32, if you look back at it just briefly, is an entire psalm, verse 1 of that psalm, about our transgressions, and sins being forgiven and covered it's one of the great Psalms of the forgiveness of sins and what that means to us and so verse 1 of Psalm 33 actually has as its introduction the whole of Psalm 32 embedded in it and the forgiveness of our sins from Psalm 32 is the launch pad for Psalm 33 and the forgiveness of our sins for those who really know that to be true and treasure that for the precious thing it is is the fountainhead of what it means to praise almighty god in song real praise flows from forgiveness doesn't it Even at a human level, when uh, you've fallen out with someone and they forgive you or you forgive them, you know what uh, an emotion of relief that is. The clearing of the air, we call it, or the putting things right again. Everything is okay between us. That emotion of genuine relief because there is that actual transaction of forgiveness taking place leads to exuberance and joy. Because as human beings made in God's image and made to relate closely to one another, the restoration of a relationship is very, very core to everything that we were created to be. Or the separation in relationship is... The antithesis of everything that was meant to characterize human life. And so forgiveness, so core, so precious, so fundamental to our well-being, forgiveness results in joy. And the forgiveness of Almighty God to us, His creatures and sinful creatures that we are, is the most profound gift that a human being can ever receive in this world and results in the most telling expression of living, heartfelt praise to God Himself. Compare the singing at two funeral services. One, a Christian funeral service The person who's died is a believer and those who gather to mourn and to grieve and who miss this person deeply sing praise at that funeral in a way that reflects the forgiveness of god that they know the deceased valued so much and the forgiveness of god that they also treasure so deeply And people comment. An uncle comes along and and says, I've never, ever heard singing at a funeral service like that. Of course, as Christian people, we're entirely used to it. We're used to heartfelt praise. We experience it Sunday by Sunday by Sunday within our church families. But to the outsider popping in, they think, what is this? This is different. This is marked contrast to what I normally experience you go along to the crematorium and the person has no Christian belief and neither do most of the people and the singing the same songs perhaps as funeral number one is simply a quiet embarrassed mumbling no heart no praise because there is no treasuring of the greatest gift that a human being can receive the forgiveness of their sins the contrast is so real it shows us it demonstrates just what forgiveness brings to the human heart and the human soul yesterday and today I drove through Edinburgh on the way to church this morning and like you I guess very late this year you're admiring the incredible palette of autumn colors, the oranges, the yellows, the reds, the browns, you're seeing a display of beauty that is breathtaking, really. These colors are so vibrant as they merge together. It is a beautiful thing. But the visual beauty of that is actually superficial. The real beauty of what's going on For those of you who are botanists will know this, you can have a wee sleep. The real beauty of what's going on is that the tree is putting its annual store of toxins into the leaves, killing its own leaves to allow them to fall off the tree and become compost and a deadly trap for cyclists on the ground. And it's actually the, the removal of the toxins from the trees that is the substantial, beautiful thing which is going on in that vibrant display. I wonder how often as Christian people we tend to think of the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of the toxins from our life, the things that would lead us and cause us to death. I wonder how often we just slip into a a somewhat more superficial way of thinking about the forgiveness of our sins. A beautiful thing, we sing about it, we have it hanging around our neck in the form of a cross. We speak of forgiveness in our prayers, but day by day by day, very often, it's just a kind of superficial level of beauty, but actually the substantially beautiful thing is the reality of the removal from our lives of all the guilt and shame and penalty and blackness that our sins without the Lord Jesus Christ would lead us to experience. That is the the real substantial beauty of the gospel. And this psalm, I think, helps us on the back of Psalm 32 as it comes to treasure that again this morning as God's people very, very deeply indeed. Even when we treasure it deeply, the forgiveness of our sins, even when we allow ourselves this morning in church time to think of what it means and to thank and praise God for the life he has given us even when we do that we can sometimes consciously maybe subconsciously find ourselves not letting go of sins which god himself has forgiven the depth of the beauty of forgiveness is that All our sins, all our transgressions in the Lord Jesus, past, present, future. Ones that we're aware of and ones that we are oblivious to. Ones that we take seriously and sins that we ignore. Sins that were a one-off and sins that trip us up again and again and again all, all are forgiven. Take in the scope, the depth, the reality of that transaction of forgiveness from Almighty God, even for a moment in all its beauty, and what could result other than, well, praise. The psalm goes on in verse 4 to say as i've highlighted in point number two we praise the god who has forgiven us because his words and his works are one and the same look at verse 4 the word of the lord is right and true he is faithful in all he does words and works have no gap between them with Almighty God very unlike us what we say and what we do often have a very substantial gap between the the two but with God the word of the Lord is perfect it is right it is true and he is faithful and perfect in all he does for it is of the essence of who God is in verse 5, his love of righteousness and justice, that the earth itself overflows with his promise keeping love. He issues a promise and then brings that promise to be. He states something, and the something then is. Look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. You see this link again between speech and action. Their starry host was made, verse 6, by the breath of his mouth, the outgoing breath, that is, the Holy Spirit. The wind, the air, by the Spirit of God breathed out was the creation brought into existence and so we have this beautiful picture of god's words being born by the holy spirit and becoming god's action in the world that is one of the most fundamental things to remember about the holy spirit that the holy spirit is god in in working spirit being bringing about the truths that God has uttered in reality. Think of the Lord Jesus in the pages of the Gospels. Think of the many familiar stories of Jesus approaching someone in need and speaking words of miracle and transforming power into their lives. Now, here stands Jesus, and here sits whoever it is, the the woman with the issue of blood or the paralyzed man or whichever of the many stories you think about. What is happening as Jesus says, you are forgiven, pick up your mat. What is happening? The Holy Spirit is taking those words of Almighty God and in God the Son's mouth and working them into reality in the very bones and muscles and sinews of the paralyzed man who's lying on the floor it's exactly the same as in creation so in new creation so when somebody comes to be a believer in Jesus the Holy Spirit himself God the Holy Spirit takes the words of God and makes them a physical Earth bound reality in the lives of men and women and children. His work and his words are one. And because of this, this unity of purpose in the very God we worship forgiveness and praise can take place. We can reliably know we are forgiven and we can reliably feel that it is right to praise Him because His words and His work are one. Now, the person of God and the words of God in Scripture and the work of God in the world is constantly harangued and called into question in a religious world and in a secular unbelieving culture like ours, there are voices coming at God, if you like, from all over the place. Attack after attack after attack on the veracity of what God says, questioning and even scorning or laughter at the very idea that God is at work in this world. But this Psalm lets us into a secret. God is very able to withstand every attack on His Word and His person. God is not rocked when the world throws accusations at His uprightness or His integrity Because His perfection is so real that the accusations ultimately will be seen to be sheer folly and are. There is something in this psalm that takes us into the very nature of God Himself. Verse 9, He spoke and it came to be, He commanded and it stood firm. And then the flip side, as we move on to verse 3, he rules over all things. His words and his works are one, and he rules over all things. This next section of the psalm just sits side by side with this description of his words and his works, and then this description of his sovereign rule over all things look at verse 10 forwards the lord foils the plans of the nations he thwarts the purposes the plans of the lord stand firm forever what a what a wonderful phrase that is the plans of the lord stand firm forever every plan god is eternal and he views, as it were, the whole of history and the whole of creation from a perspective of eternity, eternal knowledge. Now, we can't do that because we are time-bound, but in some vague way, we can imagine God in his infinite, perfect knowledge somehow understanding and ruling over everything all at once, in its totality, history, time, creation, salvation, everything that ever is, God is outside of that and rules it and is by His Holy Spirit at work every single step along the way. Look at what the psalmist says. This was absolutely his experience. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose. What a wonderful bit of his ruling that was, to choose the nation of Israel, to be the people through whom the Lord Jesus would come into the world as king. His plan, the whole of the Old Testament, his plan outworked, worked out stage by stage by stage. We see it in the Old Testament, and then in the Gospels, here he is, the Savior of the world. They were blessed, the nation he chose. But from heaven, the Lord looks down, he goes on and sees all mankind. Look at the word all from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Do you see the scope of God's sovereign ruling power? There isn't a single thing that ever happens that is even remotely outside of what God knows and rules nothing nothing whatsoever now that is both a joy and a source of perplexity to us because when we see and experience awful things that happen we are incapable of understanding because we are not god how he could be ruling over this mess or why he would be sovereign over such awful happenings the wars isn't it interesting how ukraine is just receding away in our news isn't it nothing much receding away in in ukraine for the ukrainians nothing receding there on the ground but in our news it's just fizzling away Because the next war comes along, Hamas attacks, and all hell breaks loose. And we move on with the headlines, puzzling, wondering, will this this escalate into some great global catastrophe? Will Iran and surrounding nations all be drawn in? What's going to happen, we ask. Can God really be ruling over this? We have such limited capacity to understand His sovereign control of all things that it tips us back to the knowledge that His words and His works are one and that He does rule over all things and there is evidence that that is so. It's not wishful thinking. As the psalmist goes on, he almost pulls out examples of God's control. Look at verse 16 of the psalm. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength, Goliath. For example, Israel's history as they sing this psalm is replete with examples of that. Look at verse 17. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength it cannot save. The story of Absalom comes to mind. Again and again and again, Israel knows this to be true. Look at verse 19 to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine think of the jacob and joseph incident as god's people were safely protected through the famine of seven years yes they who first sung these words they knew this god to be true to his word they knew that his words and his works are one they knew that he was capable of keeping them alive through famine. They knew it because history taught it. And we know it too. In a far greater way, in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we know it to be true that there is nothing, sin, death, or Satan, Nothing outwith the sovereign control of Almighty God who is keeping His promises from our perspective day by day by day by day by day. There is never a moment when God is not keeping His promises. There is never so much as a second when God is not working out His will by His Holy Spirit through the lives of his people, bringing others to life in Jesus, all of it done perfectly without a misstep or a stumble or a collapsing lectern or anything else that ever, ever goes wrong. It's so hard for us to take in, but so important that we do when you think of controlling the world reigning over the world I guess that the the vast majority of non-christian people in our Western culture at least headlines of war aside they would quickly maybe if you said how can we know that God is controlling the world they would quickly jump to the headlines about climate and the world going to be destroyed and come to an end and all the rest of it, the climate anxiety and everything that is going on. And I remember when this rose in frequency in our news and in general conversation. I mean, I don't know, was it 10, 15 years ago that it began and then it comes into the school curriculum and it comes over in all the kind of layers of human life that's what our Western society does it takes the latest thing and it it stuffs it into every conversation and every you know possible area of life because this is the thing and I remember thinking the Western world will never get on board with this never in a million years why did I think that well For centuries there's been enough food in the world to feed every mouth of every human being in the world, and we've never, as a human race, found a way to distribute the food as there. It's the world is incapable of taking human beings, fallen human beings, seriously. It views humanity with this kind of naive optimism. Their their hope, non-Christian hope, comes from flawed reasoning because we are incapable as a human race of thinking what human beings actually are, fallen creatures created by God. Eventually, all those headlines will all disappear because there'll be another thing that comes along and everybody will forget all about it. I predict. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's that's where I think. Something else will sweep in. We'll hear about the climate no more. Maybe not. Watch this space. But we know the God who controls every molecule of every ice cap and every bit of water and every bit of gas in every bit of the earth's layers of atmosphere, right down to the last minute detail. That's where God's Word takes us this morning. And if we know Him and know that, then finally, verses 20 to 22, we really can know something of christian hope we really can look at verse 20 we wait in hope for the lord he is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name may your unfailing love rest upon us even as we put our hope in you our sins are forgiven God's words and works are one. God rules over all things and is evidentially, historically and obviously the sovereign Lord of all the earth. And so rises up hope. Hope. Hope for God's promised future. Hope that God will not Stop building His kingdom. Hope that I will not be overwhelmed by anything that happens, for God will not allow it, ultimately. Hope that whatever the bruises or battering or difficulties along the way, whatever the unforeseen events that crash in upon us and disrupt the normal run of life, hope that none of that None of it is anything other than part of what God is doing to bring about a new creation in which Jesus will be Lord. Hope is an act of will as well as something that God gives us. May your unfailing love rest upon us. Doesn't it? Would you say it does? Do you know that God's unfailing love rests upon you, upon us? If so, if you know that, well, even as we put our hope in you, finishes the psalmist, that is an act of will. He gives us hope, And we put our hope in him. Thanks be to God.